Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore and Tokyo. Today, we're going to interview a very special guest, Steve Helen, who is a Senior Director of Information Technology at Catholic Relief Services in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mia, for having me and delighted to be part of the Humanitarian AI podcast. Welcome. You're going to talk about CRS's experimentation with artificial intelligence and your work on NetHope's AI working group. So let's just dive in. Love to hear about the Catholic Relief Services and what you do and missions and you know, what you want to share. Certainly. Catholic Relief Services is an international nonprofit. We work of based solely when need, regardless of someone's race, ethnicity, or religion. All of our work takes place overseas in the developing world. The vast majority is in Sub-Saharan Africa. Each year we reach over 130 million people across more than 100 countries. And some of the, the types of work that we do really fall into three main areas. We do a lot with humanitarian response such as responding to a natural or a man-made disaster. We do a lot in the health sector with the big emphasis on diseases such as malaria, a lot of nutrition programs, and then work with orphans and vulnerable children. And we do a lot of livelihoods work, things like food security, helping the poorest of the poor that may not have access to uh, adequate food. We do a lot of work with small-scale farmers helping them to survive and link with markets to have more sustainable livelihoods. Wow, I'm just seriously blown away at the scale of response. You just described 100 countries and millions and millions of people. What's a day in the life of your workload look like? I'd say the days are a bit unpredictable. There's a mix of helping teams that are thinking about new programs and helping them navigate technology options and figure out what's going to make sense. So that's a part of it. There's, you know, at any given point, we have four to 500 projects active around the world. And so there's a you know, big percentage of them have a reliance on technology. So there are issues that come out of that. So there's some firefighting that happens of taking care of whatever the urgent crisis is. And then there's some kind of longer term planning. And that's where AI is a little bit there, a little bit in the kind of current and, and planning piece. And we're trying to figure out where it fits. But I think it's very much we see a role for AI growing over time and probably growing pretty rapidly. And what can you tell us about some of your operational needs with that kind of scale? And how does AI sync up to all of that? So, you know, a year or two ago, we launched a new organization strategy that was meant to tie in with the UN's 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. And within that, we're really making big bets on a few areas where we want to have really significant impact. So our strategy is all about transformational change at scale. And to me, there's a really direct relationship with our strategy and what digital technology can bring. If digital technology can help accelerate humanitarian goals in many ways as a tool to reach more people, to reach more people more precisely and faster. And technology really is all about scale. And like 
many organizations working in the humanitarian space, we're grappling with some of the world's toughest challenges. And it's really, I think, incumbent on us and really our responsibility to bring the most appropriate and cutting edge tools and technologies to be part of that challenge. I think that's where AI comes into play. So how long have you been doing what you're doing at CRS? And then just so we can understand what are the priorities right now? Are you deep in COVID-19 sort of deployment? Yeah, I came into CRS at a point where the access to mobile phones was just exploding. And that laid the groundwork to do all sorts of interesting things using technology to make our development and humanitarian work more efficient and effective. And so over the course of several years, we really saw that mainstreamed as part of how we're delivering programs. The idea of having someone working at the point that, you know, maybe where we're giving out food or we're distributing mosquito bed nets or whatever the case is, tracking what is going where in a very precise way. The proliferation of smartphones has opened up an incredible opportunity to do that and to really bring a degree of precision to our work that did not exist before. That's really let us tailor and shape programs in a way that helps us up our game to be more effective in what we're trying to accomplish. That's super important. How do you share out resources? How do you go about matching the need? What's the process? What does that look like? There's a couple answers to that question. You know, our work is always done at the invitation of local governments. So we're always working in partnership with the local institutions to help shape what is needed where. Under that umbrella, then there's a more specific planning component that happens to say, you know, within a particular geography, how do you pinpoint those families, those households who have specific needs and make sure that the assistance is getting to those who will benefit the most directly from it. And that's where I think technology comes into play of being able to have access to more precise data and then being able to use more sophisticated analytics, whether that goes as far as machine learning and AI, to really help to shape those responses. When you talk about precise, has quality changed? What's made things more precise? What were some of the problems you were facing that you've overcome? Um, what could you share with us today that you've kind of seen has been a success story? So some of the success stories, you know, in the in the past, a lot of work in sectors like ours was done in a very paper-based and manual way. We'd have you know individuals out with a clipboard, pencil and paper, who were registering people's names, tracking what went to who. And that's a highly inefficient process, not just the you know, the time and effort required to capture that information and ultimately to you know, probably key it into a system where in some cases it was left in a paper format and just kind of locked in a state that was not usable. So because we have information in a digital format to start, we also have information that's more timely of higher quality that opens up a whole world of possibilities to use that to be more precise. Um, some of maybe a real recent example of what that's meant, particularly in this time of COVID and adapting to the constraints of the pandemic, 
we're doing a mosquito net distribution across the country of Benin. And that has been digitized this year for the very first time, meaning that every team that's visiting each household goes out with a smartphone and is able to capture some demographic information, provide some uh, counseling to the, the family about what, what a mosquito net is, why you would want to use it, what do you do if your child has symptoms of malaria, all this kind of rich information. But that has yielded the additional artifact of we have this incredibly rich data set that essentially is valuable for other health programs. And so working in partnership with the government, able to make sure that that's being used in a way that is responsible and also meeting the needs of what the government's aiming to accomplish, whether it's for COVID response or other disease objectives. That's interesting too. I'm just wondering when you're looking at the humanitarian sector, I noticed there's a lot of competition for resources and this is probably going a bit off topic, but are you finding there's a community building around AI and the humanitarian space? Like, is there something you can share from what you're doing at Catholic Relief Services that could help tech for good organisations um, do you partner with anyone? Are you in your own silo or are you collaborating? I'm sure it takes a whole coordinated effort. How's that going? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is competition between nonprofits. There are many organizations that are pursuing funding from similar sources. So in that side of the the work there is competition, but when it comes to more of the kind of implementation and the programmatic aspects of the work, I'd say there's much more cooperation. And I'd say specifically in the technology arena, it's a much more collegial working environment. One specific way that some of the international NGOs come together around technology topics is through an organization called NetHope. NetHope acts as a bridge between some of the largest nonprofits and the technology sector at large. And I've had the opportunity for the past year and a half or so to work with NetHope's artificial intelligence working group, really help get that off the ground and figure out what would be useful for, not just for CRS, but for the other 50 plus members of NetHope. And it, I think that's one example of our community coming together around a you know, specific, in this case, a specific opportunity. Yeah, NetHope's great. Thanks for sharing that. And more about NetHope and, and collaborating with humanitarian organizations. What are some things that NetHope uh, AI Working Group is focused on? So we're focused on helping the NetHope members grow our expertise and ability to evaluate, to develop, to uh, purchase or procure, and ultimately to use AI in our work so that we can make well-informed decisions so that these tools can be used to make our programs better to anticipate issues that can arise from using emerging technology like AI, and to ensure that the people that our organizations are trying to serve are benefiting from these latest technologies. There's three kind of work streams that the NetHope AI workgroup has really prioritized over the past year or so. The first is capacity building. We've done this through 
a series of workshops, webinars, conference sessions before things were locked down by the pandemic, um, created some tools and templates to help socialize what's possible with AI and to help build awareness of how to just generally navigate the space. Secondly, we've prioritized creating some very practical toolkits and standards. One example is a set of framing questions to help think through a potential AI use case and kind of poke holes in it and say, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about your data sources? Have you thought about the support and maintenance? And then the third area is support for practical implementations. You know, NetHope as a bridge with the technology sector has really been quite helpful in bringing some resources, whether it's uh, subject matter expertise or in-kind resources or financial resources to help support some of this early work with AI and get this uh, really getting traction within our sectors. So it sounds like a, a great collaboration coming together to set some AI-related goals. I think you mentioned the bridge in the third point you made. So what does the roadmap um, and how to realize you know, these goals, what does that look like in order to advance humanitarian A? What stage would you say things are at? I think that many of us are still early in our AI journey and, you know, many many organizations as i talk with my counterparts at other ngos you know we tend to have a few examples of how we're using ai but it's by no means mainstreamed as saying you know most of our programs are using ai to its fullest extent we're nowhere near there one of the you know, specific things that the nethope ai working group has been focused on in recent months are considerations around the ethics of ai of being sure that we're using technology in a way that ultimately is not going to have harm. And that's very much in line with general humanitarian principles. We wanna make sure that whatever we're bringing to the table ultimately has a benefit and it's not doing harm to anyone. Yeah, that's so important. How do you navigate that responsibly? You know, as you say, do no harm. What are you bringing in, in your consideration and thinking about ethics. Is there something that you can share with us? Yeah, so we're looking at this from a number of different angles. You know, the, the ethics around use of technology span many facets. Uh, one thing that we did at CRS at an organization level within the past couple of years was to develop and formalize our responsible data values and principles, looking after questions around data privacy, data security. And that's been um, you know, a journey for us to figure out what made sense, what was going to be practical, and what would best meet the needs and our responsibility to those that we're providing uh, services to. So, so that's one angle. I think as we get specifically into the topic of uh, AI ethics, there's a whole additional level of specificity. Whenever we're implementing some sort of model, you know, questions around things like potential bias and equity, explainability, auditability, accountability, all these questions that come up and I think are, are getting more and more uh, coverage and consideration are things that have to be looked at in, I think, in any use of AI. In the humanitarian context specifically, you know, the 
the risks are in some ways can be magnified because we're often working with very vulnerable populations. We're often working in very fragile contexts where we don't, as the international outsider, probably don't have a real complete understanding of the context. And so it is an area that we need to be very careful of. I will offer that when the flip side, I think there's also an ethical question around if we're not using technology to its fullest, are we fully meeting our responsibility to provide the best humanitarian service possible? So it's this kind of thing that we're trying to balance of we want to use technology in a way that brings the latest cutting edge capabilities to the table, but we also need to make sure we're doing that in a way that is secure, safe, and does no harm. Yeah. I'm just wondering with the help of tech and any revelations you've, you know, you've seen because of the tech that you you weren't aware of, you know, has it uncovered a new need for protecting X, Y, Z, you know, what are you finding in these vulnerable populations? Or is that something that would be fed in from the field? Are you discovering anything new? Yeah, let me answer that through an example of what is probably our most established use of AI. This is a program that started four or so years ago in Malawi following uh, some very severe flooding that had you know, displaced a large number of people. Malawi is a, a very impoverished country. It's landlocked. Um, vast majority of people live in rural areas and rely on small-scale farming. After those floods, the country then within the next year shifted to very severe drought. And these kind of rapid oscillations wreak havoc on small-scale farmers. There are very well-established tools to help measure things like uh, food security and potential famine at more of a macro level, like at a certainly a national level and down to a district level. But what we found is a gap is the ability to have more precise measurements down to the individual household and family. So in Malawi, we put together a protocol that would help measure resilience down to the individual family level. And we did that by drawing on some external sources, things like market prices and weather information, but then also drawing on what we called a high-frequency but low burden data collection protocol. So essentially we have community members who have a phone and periodically are checking in with their neighbors and asking a couple of quick survey questions. What that's allowed us to do is develop a machine learning model that predicts resilience a couple of months in the future so that we can then be able to understand where there is risk of uh, food shortage and then target interventions based on that. This information gets shared back with local village level development committees to help target and plan those responses. So that's one that I'd say is at CRS probably our flagship example of using AI in a very practical and practical way in a way that's really had an impact on our programs. It's great to hear how CRS is using AI. Steve, that was amazing. Was that tactical? Was that strategic? Or was that because of the flooding in Malawi and it just happened organically? Was that like an organic process for you? 
That was, I would say, more organic. But since then, it's been replicated elsewhere because it it's garnered a lot of interest because it's been deemed useful from a programmatic angle. Brilliant. Well done. So do you want to talk more about how AI has helped and other examples of how it's scaled? Yeah, so following that work in Malawi, we have since replicated a similar model in Madagascar. We have also adopted the model to changing conditions. So a couple of years ago, there was an agricultural pest called fall armyworm that was affecting that part of Southern Africa. So we added a module specifically for that. And then in recent months, we added a module specifically for COVID-19 to understand how that is impacting uh, livelihoods and ultimately household level resilience. When we kind of step back from that specific example and think about you know, from an organization level, how we're approaching artificial intelligence, Within CRS, we're thinking about AI in three pillars. Number one, we're trying to build awareness about AI capabilities and resources. You know, most people within our organization probably have heard about AI, but it's a pretty significant jump to think about how that might possibly apply to my program in a very specific and sometimes very challenging context. So we're doing that through a series of uh, webinars, workshops, case studies, to try and shine a light on the art of what's possible and to generate enthusiasm and interest. The second pillar is focused on building and maintaining a portfolio of AI solutions. Today, we're doing this primarily through relatively small scale pilots. Like I mentioned, the work in Malawi, we have just a handful of others where we've used AI in a very tangible way. Within this pillar, we're looking not only to initiate pilots, but also looking at how we can bring appropriate resources to support them and to replicate so that this is laying a foundation that we can build on further. The third pillar is developing our organization's ability to deploy and sustain AI solutions. I think this will take two angles. One is we will continue to build our in-house capability but we also recognize there's going to be far deeper expertise externally, and we want to tap into that through partnerships with technology companies, universities, and, and individual subject matter experts. And then underpinning all three of these pillars is a focus on evaluating AI ethics to make sure that what we're doing is ultimately fair and responsible. A need that a lot of people seem to have is for a humanitarian AI officer. Is there such a role in your organization or would you like there to be? Not yet. So we did stand up what we're calling a machine learning task force about a year or so ago. And that draws from different parts of the organization where you have folks who have some working knowledge of AI or, or some particular interest in it. And that's laying some of the groundwork and it's you know, serving as a sounding board for potential AI use cases. You know, interestingly, we just posted a job opportunity for a position that is focused on data analytics and some GIS work that does have machine learning built into it. And so that's it's a little bit new for us and probably where I see us going over time that we will start to have more roles that have something specific about AI or ML, but, but today it's, it's quite limited. 
you've mentioned bridges, we've talked about net hope, we skimmed over UN and SDGs. Um, any other bridges or goals that you need help with achieving? And what's unique about your world at Catholic Relief Services that would appeal to somebody who wants to help? Let me answer it from two angles, both from sort of a, a macro and global angle and in a very maybe specific CRS perspective. I would imagine that many folks in the AI community are working for organizations that are developing AI tools and capabilities. I think one of the things that ultimately will make the use of those tools more practical for NGOs and for organizations that are trying to advance humanitarian objectives is as those tools become simpler to use, more democratized, more accessible. You know, today, a lot of what is available in the AI space requires a very steep learning curve or a very high degree of expertise. There's a lot of bespoke solutions. There's a lot of very custom processes. What I'm particularly excited about are some of the ways that we're starting to see capabilities built on top of the underlying AI technology that makes them more accessible. One specific example there is you know, some of the tools that will help person without a deep degree of technology understanding you know, build their own chatbot that behind the scenes is using natural language processing and is you know, interpreting the, the conversation. But the building of the chatbot is done through a user interface that's very accessible. So I think as AI continues to mature, I'm hopeful that we see more tools that are accessible and have that layer on top of them to make them easier to use. So that, that would be sort of the big picture at a global level you know, where I'd love to see the, the AI community evolve towards. To get very, very specific for CRS, you know, within the organization, we're trying to build awareness and interest. And what I fully expect we will see is more demand to do things with AI than we have existing partnerships with. So if there are folks that are interested in finding a way to bring their expertise to, to support this type of work, I'd love a connection on LinkedIn or otherwise to figure out if there's something we could work on together. Sounds great. Just to wrap up, we're probably coming close to a close. So if you were roadmapping how to advance humanitarian AI, what priorities would you concentrate on? And what kind of help would you like to see the tech community provide specifically? Yeah, to me, the two priorities are accessibility and ethics that we have to have both in order to one, make sure that AI is getting adoption, that's the accessibility piece. And two, if we're taking our eye off the ball of ethics, we're going to make mistakes. And ultimately some of those mistakes are gonna have pretty catastrophic outcomes. And so they're really the two priorities that I'd love to see the AI community continue to focus on. Great. So going back to the ethics, any kind of guidelines you can share? Yes, we're trying to navigate the ethics of AI. What we're ultimately looking for are tools, checklists, decision trees that are really accessible and easy to understand by someone that's not necessarily thinking about this every day. One of the tools I've been really impressed with is some work coming out of DSAG, which will be a decision tree to help anyone navigate the AI ethical considerations of a potential use case. I think that it holds a lot of promise. It looks like it's going to be 
quite straightforward to use and the information it will uh, generate looks like it's going to be very practical. There are ethics rock stars here um, and I remember talking to Kate and Robert in a previous podcast and it's great to get that shout out. Thanks. So talking about tools and different frameworks and resources available to navigate this new frontier. IATI's at the forefront of standardizing reporting and open data sharing. How does that feature in, in what you're doing, Steve? IATI is something that we've been watching for many years and in more recent years have started to publish data under the IATI schema. It's one of those initiatives that because it has uh, so many organizations behind it and requiring it, that it's really gotten traction. Having said that, the IATI schema and the sort of depth of data, it's really focused on tracking activities and flow of aid dollars. There's a much deeper level of information around, you know, what's actually happening in the programs about different populations and how they're being served that IATI doesn't really get to that level of specificity. So I think IATI is super useful for digging into flow of aid internationally. There's much more, I think, kind of sector specific data sets that it would be fantastic if our sector could standardize and maybe use IATI as a springboard to take that to some next level of specificity. Right. So I think you've shared quite a bit. Any other takeaways that you'd like to leave our members with today? We look around the world and you know, we, we're facing massive challenges, whether it's the COVID pan pandemic or climate change. You know, it can be it can be disheartening. Right. But if we look at kind of the arc of human history, the trends overall are super positive, whether it's in terms of life expectancy or number of people living in extreme poverty. Over recent decades, there's been incredible progress. However, there are still populations that are super marginalized. And I see technology and specifically AI as a tool to help reach some of those most disadvantaged communities and some of those hardest to reach communities. So that's really the message I'd like to leave this group with that technology can play an incredible role for positive results and positive outcomes in the world. That's a great takeaway. Thank you so much, Steve Helen, for sharing your insights. That brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close.